Um, well, he's from Ohio. That, that's not too fun, but... Um, <laughs> I didn't mean for that to be a joke, but uh, I'll, t- I'll take it. I'll, I planned the whole thing out. You're right. I, Wait, I was going to say that you're better looking in person than on Zoom, I'll, but, I'll, I'll, but I'll now I take that back. <laughs> He said he's right-handed, but if you were to find yourself playing him one-on-one in basketball, he always does lefty layups. Just a fun fact. He uh, has been a newspaper journalist. He's been a teacher. He's been serving at Compassion for 24 years, and before he was on staff, eight of those years, he was a volunteer servant. For 26 years, so even before he was involved with Compassion, for 26 years he's been sponsoring children through Compassion. So I'd like us to um, welcome Rick, and and Rick, welcome to our church. Thank you for being willing to preach God's word for us this morning. Thank you, David. Thanks, man. Take that off. I might need that. Have you ever felt unseen? Not really noticed? Kind of invisible? And I think if we all think about it, we've all felt that way at some point in our lives. I know I have especially considering that I'm one of eight children and actually considering that I'm number six out of the eight and three of my siblings are deaf. So feeling invisible was kind of part of life. And life was a struggle for my parents as they tried to take care of us and provide for all of our different needs. And... I remember we had animals, and I was having some conversations about animals before this service. It's kind of interesting. But I was thinking about why did we have all these animals? I mean, we had, we had a cow, we had horses, we had chickens, we had ducks, we had, um, let's see, what else? We had a rooster that had a bad attitude. We had all sorts of animals, and it wasn't because we were a farm, or we were producing anything other than my parents needed to keep us busy. So with horses, we'd cleaning the stalls. With chickens, we would have eggs every day. And I remember growing up and having moments where I never felt like anyone took the time to really see me or understand me. I was kind of a loner. I was incredibly shy. I stuttered, and I kind of just went off a lot of times um, by, my, by myself. But I also remember those individuals who took notice of me. And I remember my third grade teacher. And I remember Frank O'Grady, who coached me in seventh and eighth grade. He coached me in football, basketball, and baseball. I felt like those, are, those people noticed me and they knew me and they got to know me. Yet I still had moments where I still felt pretty invisible at times. And that's not an awful, uh, or that is an awful feeling to go through. Now I'm not 
saying that my family didn't care for me and take care of me. They absolutely did. They loved me. But when you have eight kids and three of them are deaf and my dad's working three jobs to try to make sure there's enough food, it, it's a struggle. And then as I, as I kind of was pondering all the, on all that personally for me, and I had a great childhood, so, but th- that doesn't mean there's not struggles and there's not times of feeling alone. I think about Jesus. And when he walked the the earth, and how he was truly able to see people. I think of the feeding of the 5,000. And that, Scripture says that was the men. There were a lot more there. (laughs) Um, With the the women and the children. And then later on in Scripture, it talks about where he fed the 4,000 plus. He saw their physical hunger, their need for food and he provided. Scriptures has many other stories. There's the healing of the blind, the lame, the paralytic. He healed a boy and many others that were demon-possessed. He saw many like sheep without a shepherd. He healed a man with a withered hand. He knew the woman with, with a discharge of blood for 12 years. Jesus healed her. He raised people from the dead. (laughs) He saw the grieving and he was deeply moved by their sorrow. Jesus, and what I think what really impacts me when I read the Gospels and I read about what Jesus did walking the earth and interacting with people, he was never in a hurry. There's no point that you're like, he's rushing around. He's got a lot on his list that he's trying to mark off today. You never, I never, found Jesus to be someone who had an agenda and he, d- he needed to mark off his list. He spent time with people because he saw them and he noticed them and he loved them. He never rushed. I wanna, I'm going to tap into a couple different scriptures at different points. And this is not, I'm not going to spend a great deal of time in the scripture at all, but I want us to start thinking about, I mean, these are actual examples of Jesus noticing people. And this is taken from Matthew chapter 9. This is, and I I read this, I read this just this morning and I thought, I'll include that because this, this gives you an example of what I was just sharing. Starts with verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And and behold, so he just got interrupted, and he's on his way to, to to make an impact on this daughter of this man who, this daughter had just died, And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. So Jesus, the initial interruption is interrupted. Jesus, not in a hurry. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. 
And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out through that district. And then the story continues. And as Jesus passed on from there, so he leaves that place, he's had two different opportunities to interact with people directly, healing them. Two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes opened. See that no one knows it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. And finally, as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. Again, great example. I mean, it's one after another. And this is written by Matthew, who is an eyewitness to it all. Matthew, one of the twelve. So Jesus never rushed about. He allowed interruptions because he saw people. He truly saw people. And I believe Jesus has called us, his church, to really pay attention to the hurting and the unseen around us. To be willing to be interrupted. And I'll be honest, I don't do well with interruptions. I am a type A, get it done, I have my list, and my wife is somebody who hangs back and visits and interacts, and I'm looking at my watch. Interruptions and I don't get along real well, but God has made it really clear to me that it's much more important to be interrupted and engaged with people than to take care of my list of activities and tasks that I need to get done today. We need to help other people know the love of Jesus and that He loves them, He knows them, and He sees them. And this takes me, that was a long beginning, but this takes me to the title of the message, which is, But Then God. Have you ever thought of but-then-God moments? So you're going to hear me say but-then-God several times here. So so let me give you some examples so you know know what I mean. I'm going to read a brief scripture. We're going to go clear back to Genesis at the beginning. And I'm going to read Genesis 6, just 5 through 8. And this is before the flood came to destroy the earth or the the creation on the earth. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. 
and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I, whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and the birds of the heavens. For I am sorry, I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God was ready to destroy all humans with a great flood because of their utter wickedness. He was to that point. He was grieved that he even made man. And he decided to blot man out from the face of the earth. But then God remembered Noah, who found favor in God's eyes. So he spared Noah, Noah's family, and the animals too. And that's why I had to deal with that rooster with a bad attitude. Later in Genesis, there's a story of Joseph, who was sold to the Ishmaelites by his jealous brothers, and later unjustly ended up in prison where he languished. But then God delivered Joseph and rescued Joseph's family and a nation from severe famine. But then God collapsed the walls of Jericho, and that's in Joshua 6, giving that city to the Israelites, led by Joshua. This is post-Moses. God's chosen people were in the promised land. But then God protected Daniel from the lions. If you're familiar with that story in Scripture, Daniel in the lion's den. But then God raised Lazarus from the dead. Story after story after story throughout Scripture, God is involved in individual lives. There are but-then-God moments throughout this book. And it continues today. It doesn't end here. It doesn't end at the end of the book of Acts, because Acts is the history of the church. And it's, it's a book that's still being ri- written today because we are the church here. So the but-then-God moments are applicable this day. Right here on Long Island, New York. February of 2020. I know some of you are going, oh, February 2020. I remember that month. That was right before March of 2020. And we know what happened then. But in February of 2020, I was with a church from Ohio, from up near Toledo, Ohio, and we were visiting the community of San Luis, Dominican Republic. This church has been a longtime partner with Compassion, and I was leading that trip so they could see Compassion's work, they could engage with their sponsored kids that that church sponsors. And many of those kids are in this, this child development center that's connected to a church that's in San Luis. San Luis is about, just to give you, for you geography people, 
Uh, it's about 11 miles northeast of Santo Domingo, which is the capital of the Dominican Republic. San Luis was a sugarcane town. So it was actually designed, and it was kind of a, what you would call a company town. So there were these structures that were built that were shack houses that the workers would be able to rent from the owners of the sugar cane manufacturing plant, for the lack of a better way of, of identifying it. And then the people would come there and work the sugar cane fields. But they had to pay rent. That was part of the deal. And a lot of the Haitians came over who were desperate, who crossed the border and, and came into the Dominican Republic and settled in San Luis because they were desperate to make any kind of income at all. The issue is, too, is it, it wasn't a 365-day-a-year job or a 365-day uh, opportunity to have income coming in. It was kind of seasonal, but eventually that company town kind of dried up. The sugarcane fields went away. The people were stuck. They still had to pay. lower on the, on the uh, totem pole, so to speak. And to have Haitians in that area kind of even made that a, a place that many of the Dominicans didn't want to live. And so the San Luis community today, actually the primary language spoken there today is Creole, which is the language spoken in, in Haiti, French Creole, not Spanish as what's, what is spoken in, in the Dominican Republic. I've been all over the world with compassion, and I can tell you, you I typically wouldn't think that the, that the Dominican Republic would have levels of poverty that would rival a place like Ethiopia or Haiti even. The San Luis community was, most of the, it was one of the most desolate um, places I've ever been. The levels of poverty were extreme. Uh, the people were struggling just to find food to eat that day. They would go days without even being able to have a meal. And the thing is with, with San Luis, what happened when the sugarcane market kind of left that area, there was a void. And so what came in was crime, drugs, gangs. So this place is, is kind of filled with, with a lot of trouble. In the midst of all this, there's one church. There's one church in the center of San Luis. And that church in Ohio has helped that church in San Luis to put in uh, a water system, a reverse osmosis water system, so, they, so that church could provide safe water to the people of the community of San Luis. And the, it, it's coming from the church. This church also, as of this, of this time right now, has 380 children in their child development. Could you imagine 380 kids here right now? So they have 380 children in their child development center, which is the Compassion Child Development Center, but it's about the church. It's the church. 
It's not compassion. You're not going to see a flashing neon sign that says, Compassion International is here. Pull this up. This one died? Okay. You scared me a little bit there. I'm going to take that off. Um, I do have a loud enough voice. I think I could probably even do it without a mic. But um, so anyway, this church is in the midst of this community, and there's 380 kids there. And they are being shown the goodness and the love of Jesus Christ in that church. One church in that impoverished, desolate, dangerous place. And they let those kids know, know that they are known, they are loved, and they are protected, and that they are of eternal worth. When I go on these trips and I take churches, I, I get child packets. And these child packets, and there are some here, there's some out at a table right outside these, the door right here. And then downstairs, when you go through Hope Starts Here, there's also child packets there. But I always get like five of these child packets, and they're for, for the location where we're going. So I had five child packets from kids that needed sponsors from, this, from that one church that were part of that church in San Luis. One of those, one of those had a direct impact on me because I kept looking at it, and I was like, that is a big individual. And I looked at it, his name was Juan, 17 years old, and he was in a, in a child packet like this. The thing that really struck me is compassion only registers kids in the program up to age nine. So to have a 17-year-old in a packet, which means they don't have a sponsor, they're registered in the program, they're gaining the benefits of being in the program, but they don't have a sponsor to build a relationship with. So Juan had a story, and I was interested in knowing that story. And as I, I read his packet, and it said that he was above average in math, compassion doesn't make that stuff up. I've, never, I've been sponsoring for 26 years, as David said. I've never had a child that I sponsored that was above average academically. <laughs> never. One was above average in math. He was imposing, and I think it maybe it was more the angle that they took the picture. But I asked the person at the Compassion Center if I could meet Juan. And, they, and she started to fill me in. She said, Juan doesn't come here much anymore. And I was, I was like, okay, I still want to meet him. And she looked at me, and she was like, Juan's kind of given up. And I was like, uh, I still want to meet him. <laughs> so the way this church is built, and if you've ever been um, overseas and you're in some really impoverished neighborhoods, they build up, so the rebar is going up, and they just keep building up layers. There's no room to build out. So we... Where we met, where I got to meet Juan, is we went on top of the church. We were on the roof. Pulled up some plastic chairs. Juan came walking in, and he kind of apprehensive. I mean, they found him, and they brought him because I wanted to meet him. And Juan was, he was kind of imposing looking. 
and I started to ask him questions about his story. So around that area, especially Santa Domingo, there are Major League Baseball academies. So these kids in the Dominican Republic want to be discovered, and they want to be able to go and be welcomed into these Major League Baseball academies so then they can be trained, coached, and grow as a baseball player and then really have an opportunity to be noticed by the, by the Major Leagues in the United States or by the Major League in the United States. So different teams sponsor those Major League academies. So I might see the Atlanta Braves, you know, has a baseball academy there near Santa Domingo. Juan wanted to get into one of those. So I started asking Juan, we kind of broke the ice, and I asked him about baseball. He could throw a baseball 88 miles an hour. And I said, I would not want to be bat, have a bat in my hand and you throwing a pitch 88 miles an hour at me. And as Juan shared, I mean, he kind of grinned. Um, and then I asked him what, what happened. And they told him he wasn't good enough. He never got accepted into the baseball academy, so he was never good enough. I learned that Juan, being raised by a single mom, he had some relationship with his father. His father ran a transportation company out of Santo Domingo. Juan had that baseball dream. It was dashed. It was over. And I asked him, I said, what else? What else do you, do you like? He said, I like math. I went, math? I was a fifth grade teacher. Uh, math was not my favorite thing to teach. But he was math, loved math. And I said, okay, that connects with what's in his packet. It says he's above average in math. So, so we kind of went from there. And then I asked him about, and I knew he wasn't sponsored anymore. And, you know, compassion... Sponsors, uh, the word sponsor is a word that I think sometimes could have some negative connotations. It's a discipleship ministry. We're about discipleship. We, we are about discipling kids. And so started to talk to Juan a little bit about his sponsor. And he said he hasn't been sponsored for a couple years Nobody was picking one's packet up. The, the, the younger kids are the ones who get picked pretty quickly. <laughs> it's those older kids that sometimes sit on the table a long time. And one didn't have a great relationship with his sponsor. I mean, they, they didn't write to each other. One told me he got one. One didn't tell me this. Actually, I looked, being a compassion staff person, I could actually look in the system. And I saw that one had received one letter in about five years. And I, my heart just broke because I thought Juan looks really defeated. <laughs> and, you know, the people on the, at, that run the program in that church, the compassion program, the, the project director, she was just telling me, he's quit coming. He's given up. He's lost. You know where I'm going with, but then God, because, but then God remembered Juan. And he brought this small church from Ohio there 
and we got to meet Juan. And as I talked to him and I got to learn more about him, I said, what else? You have to have some other dream with your math. And he, he kind of straightened up and he kind of grinned and he said, I want to be an engineer. <laughs> an engineer, he said. And my dad runs a transportation company in Santa Domingo. So the best schools are in Santa Domingo that I can get my transportation for free because of my father's position there with the transportation company. And, you know, and I was thinking, well, Juan is probably really feeling that the gangs were becoming really attractive to him because that was his answer out. But in God's perfect timing, he brought us there to meet Juan. God wasn't going to settle for Juan joining a gang in San Luis. So I'm going to fast forward a little bit. COVID delayed Juan's start of a college education. Um, just like the rest of the world, things shut down there. Um, but what I did learn, actually, I made a promise to Juan. I told Juan, I said, okay, Juan, here's the deal. I'm going to find you a sponsor that's going to walk with you every step of the way. But you can't give up. You can't give up. And he kind of, I mean, he was, you could just see his whole demeanor changed. Juan, beca Juan became a leader in his church. But one thing that really sticks in my mind is something I saw. So after we met and Juan and I, we hugged each other. We had pictures taken together and I, I made that promise to him. I went down to the, to where the chaos was, which was downstairs, came off the roof, went down the steps, went down to where all these, I don't know how many, how many of the 380 kids were in there, but it was chaotic. I mean, they're in different groups and they're making crafts. They're, this group's, you know, getting a snack. This group's learning worship songs. This group, there's something else going on over here. And, and it's just crazy. I mean, they're just, you know, just a lot of energy, great, incredible, fun stuff happening with those kids, with our church, with the church from Ohio and also the compassion staff that's part of that church in the Dominican Republic in San Luis. And I, I look around, I'm there a while going, you know, I'm taking pictures and walking around, just making sure everybody's good and people are interacting well and all that. Later on that day, I kind of look and there's Juan and I see him and I'm just kind of watching him. And those, you know, when there's a lot of young kids going crazy and having all this attention and having meals and doing crafts, there's going to be stuff laid on the floor and spilled. Juan, I look over and there's Juan picking up trash and putting it in the garbage. And it was like I, God spoke to me then and said, Juan's back. Juan's back to the church. He's grounded in there and he has hope again. Hope has been restored in his life. So, like I said before I went into that part, Juan became a leader in his church. And actually, 
fast forwarding some, Juan now has graduated from the program, but he's attending college to become an engineer and he's moved out of the San Luis community in order to go to, to, go to college and to make, it, to make it easier on him to be able to realize that. I got, and actually, if, if you're interested in seeing the pictures of this, I have a letter Juan sent me. It's, it's out by the child packets um, at, in the entryway there. And uh, Juan sent me pictures of him getting baptized at his church. And he talks about how in love he is with God and how much he's more in love every day. He's 20 years old now, and he's in love with Jesus because, but then God remembered Juan, and Juan experienced how much he is loved and valued by his Savior. So Ephesians 2.10 says, um, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I believe, but then God moments invite us to participate in what God is doing today. God invites us to partner with him. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. But in his grace and mercy, he's allow he allows us, the church, to be a part of advancing his kingdom. And that's right here in this community, in this residential community, out beyond that as well as in places like San Luis, Dominican Republic, where people are desperate to know that they matter and are seen are, and are loved and are protected. So Everett, evangelist Everett Swanson, he was in South Korea in 1952. And he, when he looked outside, so he was there to, to really kind of minister to the U.S. troops that were there and the South Korean troops. And he noticed, he looked out of his hotel room one day and he noticed this truck that was driving through the, the center of town and the, the workers would jump out of the truck and they would go and there were like these bundles of garbage or, or whatever that he thought was on the ground. And he noticed that they would kind of kick those bundles and then they would throw some into the back of the truck and some they would leave. And whatever Swanson saw or realized when he went down to look further, those were children. Those were orphans. The result, casualties of the war in Korea. As, I mean, Everett Swanson was blown away big time by it. And as he was, I mean, he was, didn't know what to do. It was too big of a problem. And as he was flying back to the US, the propellers on the plane kind of was a way that, and he was hearing that rhythm. And it was like God was speaking to him saying, what are you gonna do about it? What are you gonna do about it? Whenever it got back, he, there was a check waiting for him, somebody who had heard about just the ministry that he was doing and they had sent him a, a check or money somehow. 
Back in 1952, I think probably they did checks. He started one orphanage of 32 kids in 1952. That was the beginning of Compassion International. It started there. Everett is the founder of this ministry. Ten years later, there were 108 orphanages and homes that Everett had created and was, was getting support to help, to help operate and run. 71 years later, we're here. <laughs> 71 years later, we have 8,500 frontline church partners, just like that one in San Luis. We have 8,500 of those approximately in 29 countries around the world doing this work. Here's the deal. Korea, that's where we started. They are no longer a country that needs compassion in this way. They came to compassion a number of years ago and said, we don't need to be the recipients of this ministry. We want to be, we also want to be a country that sponsors kids. And they've come full circle. And that's what we want to do, to see kids released from poverty in Jesus' name, to create that. 2.2 million kids are in our program, and they receive things like, just so you know, medical checkups, health care, health and hygiene training, ongoing Christian training, because every single Compassion Center is connected to a lo local church, so they're going to hear the gospel. They get educational assistance, key life skills training, nutritious food and supplements, and much more. And again, I'll repeat, they are known, loved, and protected. So the kids we have on the table here, they are here. They are nowhere else in the world. They are not on Compassion's website. That's an integrity thing. So these child packets, I, I have this, this little boy from Bangladesh. His birthday is May 10th, which is actually my brother's, one of my, one of my brothers, one of, my, one of the eight schloops. Um, his birthday's May 10th. But uh, son has been waiting 313 days for a sponsor. So son is not anywhere else. He's not on Compassion's website. This child packet, son, has been consigned, is a word that we use, to New Village Church. It's nowhere else. Can't be. So for now, son is here and these other kids that are here in the child packets are specific for, for this time. It does cost $43 a month to sponsor a child. Again, it's discipleship. And I'm going to tell you, I went through that list of what's provided. But a key, key, key point of this is building that relationship with your child. I just got a letter back from Camilla, who I, a girl, one of the girls I sponsor, and she's in, she's in Ghana. And there's a picture of her, and I brought it too, so I'm not making this up. <laughs> there's an 8 by 11 picture of her, her mother, Camilla, and her brother standing there with some yams. And these yams are like, I don't know, you look at that picture, you saw the picture, and I mean, they're big, big yams, a whole pile of them. So I, I had just sent a family gift to them. And Camilla wrote me and said, thank you so much. My mom was able to buy yams to start a yam selling business in the market. 
And I opened a bank account. I put the rest of the family gift into an account. Now talk about delayed gratification. She is banking the money because you know what Camilla wants to be? She, she revealed this to me probably three months ago. She wants to be a doctor. She's already, I think she's 12 years old right now. She's already saving for her education down the road. I got to meet Camilla. I was in, leading a trip in Ghana a number of years ago. And uh, so I got to spend time with her. And she was, I thought I was shy as a little boy. She was, lack of a better way of saying it, and you never know what's going to come out of my mouth sometimes, but she, is, she was shyness on steroids. She was scared of me. We had written letters back and forth, but she was like, oh, my goodness, he's here, and I'm with him, and I'm going to spend the day with him. And she had fear in her eyes, literally. And now she's writing me that she wants to become a doctor, and she's saving up for it now. <laughs> it matters. So just to let you know, it's a matter of choosing a child, filling out a form, giving the form to us. For, for people that love to do QR codes, you can actually do it on your own phone right here. It would be this, like Sun would show up on your phone and you could do all that um, directly on your phone right here, right now. So just to let you know that, and if you have any questions at all, I'm, I'm here to share and to help. Um, and there's a couple incredible uh, compassion reps that are downstairs with Hope Starts Here. I want to encourage you, just like David said, to go through Hope Starts Here. It's a powerful story of blessing. That's her name. Um, and it's, it's, it's her story. And it's, uh, there's some incredible twists and turns in that story. I believe, in closing, that these kids are a part of But Then God moments right here today. We can also, we can also help you choose a child. So if you're like, I, don't, I want a child that has this particular date because it means something to me deeply. Maybe you lost a loved one or maybe somebody's birthday is that date. I've had that many times. We can search for those kids as well, just see me. Just gonna ask you, invite you to choose a child and be a part of their but then God moment today. It's been an incredible, incredible blessing to be here. Um, I have to tell you, I've had people ask me, are you, are you from Long Island? <laughs> I say, no, I've, I've been here actually several times. Um, this is my third visit and uh, I, it's just, you people are incredible. I mean, it's been so fun just to interact and get to know people. I, had, I mean, somebody said they read up on me on LinkedIn. I'm like, well, I haven't really looked at that. And you've looked at, at that more than I have. Um, but um, it's been an incredible blessing to be here. This is a warm, wonderful place. And I know this church is going to be doing amazing things now and in the future. Um, God bless you so much and thank you for what you're doing thank you David uh, it's, been a, it's been a treat to be here let me know if you have any questions at all I'm, I'm, here, to, I'm here to serve you so let me know, thank you